Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. <laughs> Welcome, brothers and sisters, to the Mormon News Roundup, where Chino Blanco and D-Days will ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. It's uh, January 29th, 2023, and uh, we've got episode 44 coming right at you. Chino Blanco is co-hosting, and let's go over what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Midnight Mormons versus Reddit. Wow, this is going to be absolutely fascinating. We have new Mormon-related Netflix series that has uh, been announced. We'll tell you about that. There's an interesting Anchorage Temple renovation that has uh, been announced. Uh, we'll also give you an update on the Brody Awards and also the LDS uh, a Chosen TV series. There's a connection between the Chosen TV series about the life of Jesus and Mormons, and there's a lot of intrigue that has been stirred up. And finally, we're going to close out with the best LDS pickup lines ever. Uh, if you want to connect with us, uh, uh, myself and my co-host here, Chino, we're at uh, the mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can come on over to our Mormon to specifically interact with Chino. Uh, so welcome, Chino, to the Mormon News Roundup. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, it's uh, thrilled thrilled to have you on the podcast. Now, uh, you're a big time guy. Over, you're like the original OG over there on Reddit. How did you originally get involved with uh, Reddit, and what's your role there? I mean that that project is really it's the whole disaffected Mormon underground years and years ago before the internet even existed. Really, uh, just kind of coming to fruition in that platform. You know, the, actually, the OG was the creator of that platform. We used to hang out at a place called Flack, Further Light and Knowledge. And he just posted mm. on that board and said, hey, we're starting up this new thing on something called Reddit. And we headed over and, you know, it's become what it is now. Now, are you the are you the moderator for our Mormon and our ex-Mormon? No, no, no. Those, you know, I, I had originally been a moderator at ex-Mormon and also a moderator at, at our Mormon. Uh, that is such a thankless job. They're they're basically unpaid janitors. And I mean, for myself, I could do it for a while, but you burn out. Well, considering your background in cleaning uh, church toilets and janitorial <laughs> services, I think that that would be a great fit for you, right? Well, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Ex-Mormons, you know, doing more volunteer unpaid service, but in any case. Yeah, okay. Now, you, you've got uh, like 600,000 karma on Reddit. I don't think I've ever seen anyone with that much karma. Can you just explain to me, how does karma on uh, how does karma work on Reddit, and why does it suck so much? I'm sorry, I just have to put that in there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's fairly important as far as how that whole platform works. It sort of, you know, it drives that need for the dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. And so... Do you get karma by, like, giving people thumbs up and commenting and things like that? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's upvote, downvote. You know, okay. folks on Facebook, uh, it'd be a like button. In Reddit, it's called an upvote or a downvote. Ah, I got you. Now, you know, I somehow got banned off of our Mormon, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago for reasons that are only known either to my stake patriarch or God. So are you able to unban me? <laughs> All right. So, I mean, in, in any of these subreddits, there's usually, especially, I'm going to give you a little tip. If you if you use the old version of Reddit, which is old.reddit.com, uh -huh. that, gi that gives you a, a little bit cleaner text interface. Um, there's a button that says message the mods. Mm -hmm. And generally, if you just click on that message, the mods and say, hey, guys, you know, what's what's the deal? You'll get an answer back in mod crews at these places. You know, x has been really stable over the last decade. But a lot of these forums, the mod crews are, are constantly changing. So you got to hit that message, the mods button. OK, that's that. That's definitely what that's definitely Was it something you said or is it just you have low karma or I mean, some, I, 
some of these I, forums expect you, I mean, at this point with Ex Mormon, just to try to cut down on sort of the drive-by troll trolling, you have to have a minimum level of karma to participate, I think. Yeah, and I don't think I have that. I'm like one of those lurkers, which I guess Reddit really doesn't appreciate, right? Well, I mean, the I mean, there there are thousands. I mean, in Ex Mormon's case, there are actually millions of of lurkers there. So, I mean, lurk, lurking's fine. It's just if you if you want to participate without having any sort of karma, it, that gets difficult. Yeah, uh, that's what I've noticed. I guess I'll have to message those moderators. I'm not sure what I said or did, but. Um, <laughs> You know, they never even held the disciplinary council on me, which I thought was definitely in the uh, terms of service. But, you know, I didn't read those terms of service very carefully, so I'm not too sure about that. And, you know, with the new handbook update, you actually don't get the full disciplinary council anymore. So not really sure, but I'll have to message those moderators. <laughs> now, uh, Chino, I am in awe of you for uh, one reason is because I, I kind of swim in the Mormon news. I, I'm considered, you know, I consider myself a big church watcher and I really uh -huh. watch the news articles. I really try to keep up on this podcast on the latest and greatest. And I um, have to tell you that I'm in awe of your ability to find so many good and very obscure LDS-related news articles, which I find very interesting. We're not talking about church news sources here. We're talking about off-the-wall stuff, which is really nifty and uh, very, um, very, very interesting. Now, how is it that you find these? I really, I really want to know how you find all this stuff. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's uh, there's, there's no great algorithm or secret behind any of it. It's kind of a relentlessness on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, there's, there's something called the Mormon Archipelago, that I don't think anybody uses anymore. It's an aggregator for what used to be called the Bloggernacle. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so if you go to ldsblogs.org, you'll you'll just sort of see this aggregation of all of this blogging that's still happening at By Common Consent and Wheaton Tears, you know, and a variety of uh, Exponent Two has their blog, um, and it's it's all it's all laid out right there, and you just kind of scroll through and see what catches your interest. Uh, <laughs> So there's that bit. I mean, I would just I would put that out there. Anyone who wants to to, to go to ldsblogs.org, they're going to be able to see a constantly updated uh, aggregation of the headlines from those guys. Uh, the other thing is just using news.google. You know, just go to news.google.com and type in Mormon, and then you just scroll through those those, those hits, and that's that's pretty much it, I think. Yeah, very good, very good. Now that's uh, I'm definitely going to be checking out that. Uh, I just looked at it, looked it up while we were watching, and yeah, ldsblogs.org has got a lot of good stuff on there. I was definitely using the Google trick, but now I've got some some more tricks in my bag, which is uh, very very helpful. Now, Chino, is there anything else about your personal life or religious beliefs that you'd like to share before we uh, hop into this week's episode? I mean, you're, you're talking to someone who's really decades into being post Mormon. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's a couple of inflection points, you know, in my life. Uh, when I got back from my mission and my second year at BYU after getting back to BYU from Brazil, uh, just what I noticed on campus, it felt like we were entering, you know, Armin Moss has this whole thing about retrenchment and it felt like it was going through a period of retrenchment where the rules were coming down. So my freshman year at BYU, I actually had a really great time. I went to BYU on a debate scholarship, had a great freshman year at Helaman Halls, really enjoyed the experience, went on my mission, coming to terms with my beliefs during my mission. But, you know, I'm one of those Exmos who would say, I don't regret my mission. I actually... I really liked my mission president, ended up going to Thanksgiving dinner with him after my mission, uh, staying in touch. But that that second year coming back and, and, you know, you're a little bit older, you feel like you're an adult, you've, you've had some maybe some leadership responsibilities on your mission. And then you come back to campus and it felt like they were treating us like kids because they're like, mm -hmm. oh, church attendance is required now. We're going to take role every Sunday. And I'm like, dude, I just got done volunteering two years of my life for this institution. And you're going to treat me like a deacon. Um, yeah. So that, and then, and that's just when I got back and I said, well, I'm going to, you know, get my trans, you know, transfer out as, as easily as possible. And I have to say, I mean, I really appreciate some of the professors I had 
at BYU who, when I talked to them and said, you know, I feel about like I'm going to disappoint my family here. I, I feel like I'm, you know, letting people down by, because, you know, in our family going to BYU, that was just part of, is like being an Eagle Scout. You know, you want to drive a car, you get your Eagle, you know, you want to go to school and have your education paid for, you go to BYU that sort of thing. Um, and so I was just dealing with the fact that, Hey, I'm going to transfer out and figure out how to fund the rest of my life because I'm not going to be getting any funding or support my family once I do this. And the, you know, some of the professors at BYU were just like, you know, you've got to pursue your life. Absolutely. Um, well, th thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate you coming onto the program and uh, we'll be interested to see your take on the news because you know as much about uh, Mormon news as I think just about anybody does. Uh, but before we do that, I understand that you've got the Mormon news roundup joke of the week. Studying Mormon history, I learned about my forefathers and my foremothers. And in my case, it was, yeah, except in my case, it was five mothers. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right. Okay. So I thought that, I thought that one was, uh, that was all right. It's like, what do you, what do you, uh, there was another one um, that I just ran across here. So what do you get when you cross uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses? I do know the answer to this. I don't know what it is, but get it off of my doorstep. Yeah. Except in this case, I need to, I think it needs to be updated to be like, Hey, I don't know, but only one of them are showing up in Facebook marketplace. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's update that. I don't know, but I need to block it off of my Facebook page. Yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, okay. and that's part of the, the recent thing that's been you know, yeah. fun to watch is, is this whole Facebook phenomenon. Yeah, okay. But very, anyway. very well. Okay. Well, we're glad to have you on the program. Now, our first news article here is the Midnight Mormons versus Reddit. So uh, okay. uh, the uh, Quaker in particular, he went on to uh, the, the Midnight Mormons are on a popular uh, LDS uh, YouTube channel, and they are, are probably best known for, I don't know, stirring up controversy and being somewhat controversial. They're definitely, I would say, slightly right of center. So they, they are saying here that uh, the anti-Mormons and ex-Mormons are always talking about how they want to start a conversation in a safe environment. But they tried to start and ask me anything uh, on, on Reddit, which is supposedly the safest turf possible. And they were censored. What happened with this ask me anything on Reddit, uh, Chino? <laughs> Completely fabricated narrative, which seems to be par for the course with this crew. I mean, you're talking about some guys who are basically comedians and want to be influencers. And this is what they do. They, they, they fabricate narratives and try to draw attention to themselves. Uh, so I don't know what what more to say about that other than if you're going to do an AMA on Reddit, uh, anyone who's familiar with the platform, you go to r slash IAMA and anyone who's a public figure of any, you know, note is going to, before they start the AMA, they're going to have a photo of themselves with their Reddit user handle saying, here's today's date. Here's my Reddit user handle with the picture of themselves to verify that it's really who they are. The first step is you're going to you're going to post something as part of the AMA to verify your identity. The second thing is just to be courteous, you're going to give a heads up to the mods in the subreddit to let them know that you're planning to do this because if you don't do that, you're expecting volunteers to take time out of their day to moderate this thing, to follow along and make sure it doesn't get out of hand. That's just not very polite. And so, I mean, there's just those two things. A, they don't seem to understand how the platform works, and B, they're kind of rude to show up with a Reddit account that has no karma, no history. It's a one month old, you know, Quaku showed up with a one month old account that had no history on it saying, Hey, I'm Quaku. Ask me anything. Well, how do we know? You know, the, you know, the famous line is on the, on the internet. Nobody knows you're a dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right? So, so we're, you're dealing with fairly savvy, a fairly savvy audience at ex Mormon who are internet people. And they're like, well, the first thing we need is some verification. So I, you know, I, as far as all of that, um, that just seems like something they've completely fabricated on their side to draw attention to to their project. It also seems like, I mean, their audience, you say they're popular, but I mean, in terms of traffic, you know, that that Reddit post, a single, any 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 post about Midnight Mormons on either R Mormon or RX Mormon is actually getting more eyeballs 
than than any of their YouTube content. So I understand sort of the logic of why they're trying to antagonize Reddit, um, but it, it's not a particularly impressive or interesting topic in the sense that I don't even understand what Midnight Mormons is actually about. It doesn't seem to be about Mormonism in any particular, particularly serious way. I mean, are they really discussing Mormonism at this point? Well, I, you know, they, they have a wide variety of issues that they discuss, but I, I want I think I think what you're saying here is that, you know, I can't go on to Reddit and say I'm President Obama or something like that and say, ask me anything and then pose as a public figure. There has to be some kind of a verification so that the ask me anything has some kind of a legitimacy and they didn't do the necessary steps. Well, and this is just learning how to be an adult on Reddit. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the antics, because it doesn't take a, a very long time to think through how this would work. So what if it wasn't Quaku? What if someone came on posing as Quaku and said, ask me anything, and then proceeded to just make a complete ass of himself, you know, as, as a kind of hit? That That is the kind of trolling that happens on the internet. And by not just taking it up front as, oh, you claim to be Quaku, so let's pretend that you are, that's actually a courtesy to Quaku and these guys. That's a courtesy to anyone who would want to do a legitimate AMA is expecting some verification. Would you want someone who's not you claiming to be you on the internet doing an AMA on Reddit? Probably not. Uh, only if it led to fame and fortune on my part. I can just tell you that. But, um, but well, no. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, the thing is, so someone who's running a Mormon news roundup or someone like myself, I, I, you don't do this. And especially for, for Redditors, we don't do it because we're seeking notoriety. It is the absolute worst platform for trying to build a personal brand, right? This, Absolutely. This is an anonymous platform. It's for people to be able to freely express what's on their minds. And part of that freedom involves that anonymity. You know, one, one of the one of the problems with things like, say, Facebook, if you're talking about ex-Mormon issues, particularly, there's a lot of, you know, emotional and, you know, family and whatever community baggage involved in that. Do you want to be doing that as yourself on that platform? It, it can turn into a train wreck because you're talking about very personal things. You're talking about religion. With, with, with a bunch of folks. It's much easier to do this on a platform like Reddit where people don't really know who I am and I'm allowed to just speak freely. So that's, you know, it's a very important piece. And I think part of what, you know, Quaku did is really kind of just disrespecting our platform and using it as fodder for, for you know, basically entertainment. So far from ex-Mormon gatekeepers censoring the truth, you're telling me that Quaku, if he had a legitimate account, would be very welcome to come on and uh, have not asked me anything with just some very basic setup and preparation in advance. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, the thing about Reddit is every, they, they're there for the, for the conversation, right? The banter, the back and forth. And they would love to have an AMA with, with anyone who's coming on and saying, yeah, you know, ask me anything. But it has to be, it has to be done in a way that, that that's legit so people aren't afraid to to be wasting their time talking to a dog or a cat pretending to be Quaku. Um, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, what I would say with, with, with Exmoor, and this is this is where I was going to say, I don't really understand what Midnight Mormons have, what it has to do with Mormonism, really. Uh, Richard Bushman has done an AMA at Exmormon. So sure. if Richard Bushman can come on to Exmormon, and it was a very respectful you know, it was actually a really productive conversation. If you can come on and have an AMA, what, what's what's the problem? Yeah, well, speaking of which, we are having the Midnight Mormons coming on to this broadcast on February 19th. So perhaps I'll be able to ask them a few of those questions that uh, you brought up uh, that, that we were discussing right now. And sure, for have fun with it. 
yeah, for our listeners out there, that brings us to our Roman News Roundup question of the week, which you can, we always post these over to Anchor, who hosts our podcast. Um, If you uh, come over to Anchor, you can interact with us on the Mormon News Roundup question of the week, which is, how do you feel about this week's Midnight Mormons Ask Me Anything Reddit drama? If you come on over to Anchor, you can interact with us on that. Now, the uh, our next article here is regarding the Brody Awards, which we've covered before. It's time to vote for the uh, 2022 Brody Awards. And the Brody Awards, what are the Brody Awards, uh, Chino? Well, that was really, I mean, this is going back to that blogger knackle, an era, you know, a decade plus prior to Reddit and all of this, when blogging was kind of the thing, um, you know, by common consent and some other blogs, they were really the blogger knackle. And, you know, the, the folks who run the blogger knackle were very clear that people like me were not welcome to receive awards. They had something called the niblets that was awarding, say, some of the best content that was produced during the year for the blogger knackle. And the guys who had started by common consent came out very clearly and said, well, we don't Exmos like Shanson or Chino, um, you know, the folks from Main Street Plaza was was the blog that we the group blog that we were at. And it's very much an, an Exmo slash atheist kind of hangout. But, you know, we're pretty high level content. But you've been nominated yourself. So for the uh, Brodies, I'll go over a number of different awards here. There's different uh, categories. There's Best LDS Interest Site, Best LDS Website, a Best Podcast, Best LDS Interest Video Channel, Best LDS Interest Blog or Column. And then you've been nominated, Chino, for a Best uh, Redditor or Satire Subreddit. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, that? That was really a joke entry, to be honest, because the whole point of that, uh, if, if you look at that category, do you notice our horse? Yeah. So to, to actually have any of these categories be open for voting, you have to have at least three or four nominees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but just frankly, our horse is the most hilarious Reddit subreddit parody of the last few years. And so we had to throw some nominees in there just to have the voting going on. So I, I'm trying to remember who nominated me for that, but I'm not going to win. Our horse is, is, is running away with that one. And right. And rightly so. Have you seen, have you seen that subreddit? No, I haven't. Oh, it's hilarious. Okay, so what? I mean, it, it, hilarious and like, yeah, it's 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 a it's a quick laugh out loud. Um, oh, so it's 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 mocking the idea of horses in the Book of Mormon with tapers. Is that the basic idea here? Or basically, anyone who clicks anyone who clicks over to our horse um, is just going to see thousands of posts of taper photos. Okay, okay, and and, and people wandering in going, say, I thought this was about horses. <laughs> and how did they manage to get that domain or that extension? Well, you know? I mean, that's the, that's the uh, not so secret piece of Reddit that's kind of fun is it's not that hard to register these domains. I mean, uh, for example, yeah, like American, Pri- we're going to talk about American primeval later, right? Well, I've gone ahead and right. just registered American primeval. And eventually I'll get some guys who like moderating subreddits about TV series, and they'll come in and set up episode discussions and all of that. We did the same thing for Under the Banner, uh, Mormon No More, any of any of these sort of Netflix or, you know, streaming series that come on with Mormon topics. I tend to hop in and, and, and grab that subreddit and then work with other guys who enjoy doing TV commentary to, to build up a little community where people can talk about the episodes. So on Reddit, just, you know, FYI, it's pretty easy. If, if you're interested in a certain area you generally can like search and see if that name's available and then just grab it for yourself and it's a first come first serve thing yeah oh that, that, that kind of reminds me that the church was one of the first ones to grab mormon.org you know it's kind of like a first come first serve yeah I mean, we church covered... news, i own church news on reddit like no, nobody cares but i mean that's that's mine <laughs> interesting uh, i wonder who owns the victory for satan on uh reddit that's the that's the one that really needs to be um that it really needs to be taken care well, we of we own that every day at our mormon come on <laughs> 
Yeah, you bet. Now, our next article here, you also posted this. You had a high number of, uh, you know, I follow your account very carefully on Reddit because you always have a lot of great uh, kind of obscure news articles, which I find very interesting. And it's regarding Cora Evans. So Cora Evans is a bona fide ex-Mormon and quite soon may become a Catholic canonized saint. So she was born in 1904 in Utah, uh, as, a, of course, anyone born in Utah in 1904 is LDS for sure. At the age of three, she experienced a mystical vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and eventually she got married in the Salt Lake Temple. Shortly after her wedding, she started doubting her faith, and in 1934, while lying sick in a bed, she heard a radio program called The Catholic Hour, and afterwards contacted her local Catholic priest. She met with them, um, and then eventually her entire family converted to Catholicism, and uh, she's uh, she's going to become a canonized saint. So instead of becoming, she's going to be leaving Latter-day Saint and becoming a canonized saint. I've never seen something like this take place. I mean, in terms of, in terms of the Catholic world, um, from from what I gather, reading the articles about, I mean, she's a fairly big deal in terms of the mystical, you know, that that tradition of someone who had this experience and it becomes this spiritual edification for other Catholics. And I think that's what's driving her canonization is that you know she's known for invigorating sort of this spirituality. That's not my world. I mean, the, the reason this story stood out for me was, and this is going back to the Midnight Mormons, uh, sort of one of their their tags is, well, yeah, but Exmos are on the hook because where do people go after they leave the church? And I'm like, well, actually, there's this entire history going back to the Mormon Reformation in the 1850s in Utah. From that time all the way up to now, there are always Mormons who are leaving and going on their own journeys. The problem is you never hear really hear their stories. They're not told within the Mormon bubble. Um, and this is, I mean, with Cora's story, it's just an example of, yeah, there are, there are ex-Mormons who go on to lead all kinds of lives, experience all kinds of things. Um, and I'm just fascinated to see her story. And I think there, there's so many others like that. I mean, if I were an if I were a Mormon studies scholar in 2023, I, I think my focus would be on ex-motorasure, all of these stories, particularly of women from the Mormon Reformation until now, what are the names and the stories of all of these women who left Mormonism and went on to do amazing things? There's actually so many of them, but they don't get told because they don't serve the purpose of any official narrative. There's no sort of institutional or cultural uh, desire to hear these stories told. But as an academic, that's what I, those are the stories I would be looking to, 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 to get up, to dig up and, and retell because they're just really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, is she the first ex-Mormon to get canonized? To, 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 I've never heard of, or, or Mormon of any kind. Is she the first Mormon slash ex-Mormon in history to get canonized as a legitimate saint? As far I as would, I know, yes. I, I would guess, I mean, just, just in terms of the, the you know, Mormon has been around for a couple hundred years. Uh, I, yeah, I can't imagine there's any others. I haven't seen I, any. Yeah. Uh, so for our listeners out there, we post all of our uh, episodes on YouTube and also we are on Twitter. We're at, at News Mormon. If you know of any Mormons or ex-Mormons who have actually been canonized as Catholic saints, would you drop us a uh, uh, drop us that information? Because I was not able to find it. So this is really a kind of an unprecedented article here. Um, and that's why you're uh, you're searching of the news. And this is on a very obscure website here. This is on Alicia.org here. This was published on January 25th. Uh, this uh, These obscure, somewhat obscure uh, news uh, websites, you're never going to see this in the church news, that's for sure. But they have fascinating stories, which is why uh, following Chino Blanco on Reddit is definitely worth your time. Anything else on this article here, Chino? I'm, I'm curious to see. I mean, she's not canonized yet. I'm curious to see how that goes. I mean, uh, at, at some point, if, if we need to sort of help this along, I'm sure Main Street Plaza with the Brodies, we can set up a, a, you know, a nomination system and try to promote her canonization, if that helps. That, that was a joke. 
<laughs> I don't, I don't know. Which should be nominated for canonization this year? I cool. don't know if the Catholic Church will take that into consideration in their process. I'm not no. that familiar with the process, but I imagine that it does not involve anything having to do with Reddit. It may be a little bit more serious than that. <laughs> That's right. Now, our next article here was from uh, TheGuardian.com, and it's entitled Losing Their Religion While U.S. Churches Are on the Decline. And this was published on uh, Sunday, uh, the 22nd of January, 2023, by Adam Gaba. And it says that uh, people are breaking the habit of attending church during COVID, which had a really uh, still far-reaching ramifications. A a lot of churches um, are really having to work very hard to get even much less new converts, but trying to get back the people who used to be attending before COVID, they're still not able to reach their uh, their, their pre-COVID. COVID levels. And it shows a picture here uh, of, a, 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 of a Catholic church here where there's only like four parishioners inside. Part of the article also said that in 2017, Lifeway surveyed young adults aged between 18 and 22 who had attended church regularly for at least a year during high school. And the firm found that seven out of 10 of them have now, uh, as of just five years later, seven out of 10 uh, out of ten of them have stopped attending church regularly. What do you think is going on with the uh, YUS churches are on the decline here, uh, Chino? Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've I spent probably the last 25 years, mostly on planes and hotels and traveling. If you look at Asia and if you look at Europe and you look at the U.S., the U.S. is kind of unique in the sense that uh, the whole secularization process hasn't really kicked in for, for you know, for long running cultural reasons. But I, I think that's what we're looking at in sort of the broader picture is just our culture, our society here is going to become more secular. The Internet's certainly accelerating that um, in the U.S., I think. You know, if you, if you go to Our Atheism right now and you look at the top post there, it's mine. And it talks about, uh, finally, younger women are leaving religion faster than younger men. And I, th- I think you have a whole cohort, this whole, this younger cohort, uh, that just, they are just heading for the exits as far as religion is concerned. You know, I'm talking about Gen Z, um, this, this crop of kids are in high school right now. I mean, there's by, you know, I think I, I would, I, there's a substantial percentage of young Mormon kids who I think by the time they're 18, they are going to be prepped to basically Hey, when I hit 18, I'm out. I'm moving on. Yeah, that, that's a, that I have a lot of anecdotal evidence for that in my own life. You know, um, it, it talks about in this article in the pandemic, people who were weakly attached to their faith, all of a sudden you have months of not going and they're saying, well, we don't really need this. We didn't notice a difference in our life, uh, either positive or negative. And some of them even actually noticed a positive change in their life. And they're saying, you know, it's hard to, and parents are saying, you know, it's hard to drag the kids along. And it's just, you know, people are lax and, you know, they're, yeah. it's just. And I, and I think, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, first, I, you know, if you look at sort of the, the reporting on this kind of thing, over, over previous years, there was always this sense that, oh, high demand religions like like Mormonism, um, you know, the more conservative uh, traditions, oh, they weren't losing members, right? Like they they, they were able to hold on to, to, to their members as opposed to what we'd call the liberal, you know, the Presbyterians and more of the mainstream mainline uh, Protestant traditions, you know, who were just bleeding membership. The Mormons are always like, oh, yeah, but, you know, look at us, you know, our tradition is different. We're somehow, you know, running against that tide. That's not true anymore. These high demand religions are and, and I think what you're what you're speaking, you know, this gets to this thing of what happened during the pandemic of people getting that time to step back. The thing I would comment on that, where particularly where where the LDS Church is concerned, is they had actually, I mean, when they rolled out this idea of home church, they 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 could have done something with this home church idea, but as with so many of the initiatives during the Nelson administration, it's just sort of stated, but there's there's no there's no program in place. It's almost like, oh, we want to talk about home church, but we're not going to give you any of the materials or the tools to actually create home church. And it seems like a missed opportunity. And at this point, you know, the horse is out of the barn and I don't think these folks are coming back. And I don't think home church is ever going to become a thing. I don't know if that answers, you know, 
That's well, it. I, I, wasn't the wasn't the come follow me uh, program was you know was I think was a kind of a try at you know bolstering the home church the come follow me program. You would know that better than I am. Just I am I do not have my finger on the pulse of what that yeah. lived experience of Mormonism is right now. Uh, yeah, just, I just read online. Just you know what you're saying is what I'm seeing anecdotally online. It's just that 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 pandemic that disconnect. All of a sudden, folks were like, "Yeah, you know what do, is this? What is this doing?" What is it doing in my life? And I would just say for someone who's a bit older, I mean, I just remember a Mormonism where we had road shows and, yeah. you know, Boy Scouts and, it just, there was, you know, scripture chase even. I mean, state, conf, you know, state dances. It, there was just this whole sort of, you know, and Wednesday nights were a fun time. So you had Wednesday, Saturdays and Sundays that you're doing things at church that weren't just talking about uh, bearing your testimony. Yeah, And it yeah. feels like the whole Mormon experience from what I can gather, particularly under the Nelsons, is just, oh, let's reduce it all down to like repeating our oaths of loyalty to this thing, as opposed to making the experience interesting and invigorating. Yeah. And in fact, the church has also gotten rid of the pageants in addition to the road shows, in addition to the Boy Scouts, in addition to a lot of the other things um, that really, I don't know, gave people meaning or were very, you know, even before the three hour block was instituted in 1980, you know, church used to take place. The the uh, elders quorum was during the week. Primary was during the week. And only on Sunday did you come together for the big meeting in the sacrament. So it was a much larger part of your life. And it was much more, I don't know, rich and diverse in experience than kind of the one size fits all cookie cutter approach that we have now. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, President Nelson, he, he took the unprecedented step of saying that in the second hour of church, that it will it will now begin with a prayer when before it was not beginning with a prayer. So we're seeing a very centralized, top down approach that, um, I don't know, doesn't resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, and, and this is something um, just in terms of my own personal interests, I'll, I'll just say I, I've never been that interested in what you'd call Mormon apologetics. I guess that's why I'm so confounded by what Midnight Mormons tries to do, which is. Is it, is it an apologetic debate? Endlessly discussing the theology to me is less interesting than the sociological aspects. I mean, to me, it's the sociology of what's happening. It's it's what, you know, what are people getting out of their lived experience of being Mormons and what's the institution doing to sort of promote, you know, an interesting lived experience as opposed to these endless debates over um, things like Elijah and Elias. I mean, <laughs> you know, and this is, and, and you look at that RFM debate with, with Midnight Mormons and I, I would have to say like, and that's, you know, I applaud what RFM and, you know, those sort of like, they're sort of the counter apologetics that come from the Exmo side. That's all fun. It's just not my world. It's just, it's not a world that I'll ever be that interested in. I'm much more interested in what you what you do in terms of just, Hey, here's the headlines. Here's what's happening. You know, and a lot of like, you know, news reporting is more sociological. It's more, Hey, this is something that was, you know, Nelson announced that we're going to have these prayers before these meetings. Well, what is, what does that actually even mean? How, how is that a news item? How is that contributing to to the experience? Absolutely. Yeah, I, we, we don't I, I'm not really qualified to really get into all of the LDS truth claims. There's a lot of people who are this is a well trod path that thousands and billions of electrons have really been burned up on it. And there's much smarter people out me than me who can talk about church history, church theology, and can uh, debate endlessly, endlessly debate, as you said, these uh, church truth claims. Yeah, I, and then there's absolutely no resolution that comes to really, uh, uh, there's, it still continues even today. So I, I'm much more interested in, in the headlines and the sociological aspect, as you said. Um, and, and I think maybe that's why uh, we are long lost kindred spirits. I'm just going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, I mean, so. halfway, halfway through my mission, I mean, one of the, one of the things that happened to me was I was like, you know, I don't, really care if the church is true at this point. I just want to know if it can do good. You know, if I stop worrying about it being true, can I worry about it being good? And you know, I was I was fortunate enough to be a branch president and I felt like what we were doing in the programs that we were doing in our branch, I was just 
it was, I love the experience of helping families and helping people come together on Sunday and have an experience that, that maybe help them have a better week, a place for them to bring their kids and somebody's there to help them watch their kids so they can have an hour with adults and talk about, you know, issues in their lives, learn, learn a spiritual lesson, you know, in addition to Saturdays, having some sports, you know, some dances, having all of just creating, you know, a healthy, wholesome environment for families. And that was, you know, my, my frustration after that was I moved on from being branch president, you know, and talking to some of the area authorities in Latin America, they were just still focused on, on, on baptisms and conversion and that aspect. And I was like, guys, it's about retention. And it's about using your, your networks of networks you have with your families that are already members and building out from those so that you have strong wards and branches, not going out and getting random people from door knocking that burns out the local leadership because they're having to welcome 10 or 12 strangers every month into a branch. We're burning our people out. I mean, the whole system was just broken, but nobody in leadership wanted to listen to that because it's a top-down organization. They don't want to hear what some young, you know, twenty-year-old AP in Brazil has to say. They think they've they think they've got it figured out. Yeah, and then the difficulty the the, the missionaries bring those converts into the ward house, and then the retention is basically uh, put onto the membership, which obviously rises up it, to the top of that. that and- yeah. That was the key insight in Brazil is that we had set up a system that structurally was pitting the more, the missionaries against the local leadership. Exactly. Uh, just burnout. Yeah, because the local leadership actually has no ability to really stop a baptism because they're not involved with the baptismal process. The yeah. interviews for uh, new converts are done by missionaries and, and or the mission presidency. And therefore, you would have there was a lot of trepidation, you know, in my mission from uh, local congregations would say, you know, are you sure that these folks are really ready? I mean, they've come mm-hmm. to church one time. They seem I don't know. A, a lot of new converts are quite frankly, they are very flighty and they're somewhat like a Martin Harris. They're a little bit fickle. They can jump from mm-hmm. uh, religion to religion. And that's why the retention is so poor. So there's just a there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of conflict in between that, you know? Yep. Preach it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, our next article here is, uh, I found very interesting, and it's from the church news itself, newsroom.churchofjesuschrist.org. And this was uh, put out on the 23rd of January, 2023. And this was Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska temple to be reconstructed. Now this is, uh, and when they say reconstructed on this one, they mean really, really reconstructed, torn all the way down um, to the foundation, completely leveled and move to a different location on the same plot. So it's gonna be in the same spot. Now the new temple will be uh, built uh, uh, at the same time. So the existing temple will be on the same plot. And in the meantime, across the parking lot, you will see a new temple that will be rising. So for a brief period of time, there will actually be two temples um, on the same plot. Which is uh, kind of, I, I think it's going to be, it's very interesting to me to see. I, I don't think we've ever seen something quite like this in the past. Now, uh, uh, this is only, from my understanding, this is only the third temple that will be completely rebuilt. We have the Nauvoo Temple, which was, um, you know, it was first, it was hit by, it was basically abandoned by most of the saints when um, Brick and My Branch went uh, west. Uh, and it was abandoned like in 1845-ish, that, that time frame. Then it was eventually hit by a tornado a short time later, and then they just burned it down because they, um, they didn't want it to be turned up. They tried to sell the Nauvoo Temple, but nobody really wanted it. They tried to sell it to the Catholic Church, but nobody really wanted the building. Anyway, it got burned down. So that temple had to be reconstructed. And the Samoa Temple, um, I think back in the 90s, I want to say in the mid-90s, it caught fire and burned all the way to the ground. And they had to totally reconstruct that temple as well. So this is only the third temple, which is going to be completely reconstructed from the ground up. Now, this uh, Anchorage Temple is only the second small Hinckley Temple. So Hinckley, President Hinckley, back in the 90s, he really uh, pioneered the idea of these small temples, which are less than 10,000 square feet. And this is only the second one um, that was ever dedicated back in the 90s after the Monticello, uh, Monticello, Utah Temple. 
Now, a couple of other things about this article, which I find interesting. So the stake, anytime that a small temple is built, there's always a stake center on the property as well for meetings and, and things of that nature. Whereas in the larger temple, you actually hold the meetings inside the temple. Well, there's not enough room in these small temples for any meetings. So there's a stake center on the uh, same property. That stake center is also going to be rebuilt because whenever the church rebuilds a temple, they always redo the stake center, no matter how new or old that stake center is. A couple of other notes here before I get any opinion you might have on this, Chino, is that the current temple, that small temple in Anchorage, it has two endowment rooms. And those are progressive endowment rooms, meaning that you move from one location in the temple to the other to complete your endowment. So the new temple, it's also going to have two rooms. However, the new rooms are going to be stationary. So that will essentially double the capacity of the uh, of the temple. And uh, so basically it's going to be uh this is the first time from my understanding that a Hinkley small temple is going to be replaced with a more standardized sized a temple which is basically double the capacity it'll have you know cafeterias more baptistry larger changing rooms and things along those lines. Um I any reaction to this Anchorage Alaska temple to be reconstructed here Chino? I, you know I I don't really know enough about the details of that to to have a specific insight. I I I guess I'm always curious about who the contractors are who the architects are for, for all of these projects. My, my guess is would be that they're the, the church is, is relying on maybe, you know, vendors who are, who are, who are based more in the Southwest U S. And so you end up with, with, you know, designs that aren't suitable to other geographies. That's just speculation. Very well could be right about that. The thing about these small temples, they were somewhat standardized in their construction. I think that there's around 40 of these so-called Hinkley small temples. And the problem that they immediately, a lot of them immediately started encountering problems. In fact, a, a number of them um, have been basically torn down all the way to basically like the studs, not uh -huh. to the foundation, but to the stud level because they were susceptible to a mold infection and other architectural defects. In fact, I saw an article that there was a temple, a small Hinkley temple somewhere in the Southeast. I want to say it was in Georgia. I'm not sure about that, but that only four years after it opened, it had to be closed for renovations because of poor construction methodologies and mold issues. Yeah. So these small, these yeah. smallish temples were supposed to save a lot of money. But in a lot of ways, it seems anecdotally that they have, um, that, they, that they've cost a lot of money. Anecdotally, that's what I see on Reddit are people from, you know, people who are in the Bible Belt who are down south where it's a little more humid uh, talking about this phenomenon of the mold and, and, and all of that. So, you know, I, it sounds like something went wrong there. Uh, I mean, just, just recently there was another news item I, I it's in the New Canaan, uh, Connecticut area. There, a, new, a new meeting house is going up and there was some, some you know, some, some conflict with the local uh, board as far as approving the design. And I just popped in to see like who the architects were. And sure enough, they're based out of Arizona. You know, so you've got a, an Arizona based crew going out to Connecticut trying to, you know, get this design approved, which is, you know, orthogonal to what we're talking about. I, I, I probably the main thing for me that I'm curious as an Exmo is just if you've ever read uh, Damon Smith's book called The Book of Mammon, it's, no. it's, it's a slog to get through, but the part that really, uh, the little piece that stood out to me was that he had worked, you know, in the church offices and uh, he had just mentioned, you know, there is a vendor and contractor database. And I think if there's anything, like if you want to talk about a very proprietary piece of information in this world would be, well, who exactly are the, the vendors and the contractors that the church are using? And if you were to put the pieces together, my suspicion would be that that's very much a, a an old boys network. It's very much, uh, you know, similar to the way general authorities, if you look at all the family relationships there, I, I would expect to see that emulated in their contractor network, that it's it's all a friends and family network. And so when these temples have to be 
renovated or torn down or whatever, uh, you know, nobody's really feeling any pain because that network has just been a feeding. They're, they're feeding at the trough, you know, and there's certainly plenty of funding there. You know, it, a few years earlier, people would have just speculated about, you know, things like the Ensign Peak Advisors Fund. Well, we don't have to speculate anymore. We know that we know the investments are there. We can see their portfolio. They're reporting quarterly on those, you know, and it's one thing we can't see yet is who are they contracting? Who are they hiring to do all of this construction work? You know, and when Nelson talks about 300, you know, this whole thing of temple building, it just to me, I as an ex-Mormon, I just look at that sort of askance as well. Sure. If you've ever seen the was it a Netflix series called Ozark, he's running these invoices through a legit construction firm. Right. And. That's just, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm calling this in from Chicago where this, you know, this kind of thing is just infamous. You know, we know how these projects work and who's getting paid and, and all of that. So, you know, I don't want it, to, it's speculation on my part, but that's just from, from, from Damon's book. That's the piece that stood out is just, there is a vendor contractor database that I would love to get eyes on just to see what that network of relationships is there. Well, I'm sure that someday it will be made public. Exactly. Anything, you know, there's the leaks that have come everything that we've learned really of substance about the church has come from leaks. And there's eventually going to be somebody uh, who's high up in the construction management department at uh, the church who leaks it, or they could be inadvertently leaked. So it's only going to be a matter of time until we know the answers and which is always begs the question, well, why not just get, if it's only a matter of time until we know everything, why not just get out in front of it and let everybody know everything now? It seems so much better to do it that way. Now you talked about these temples running afoul of uh, codes and uh, the, you know, the Orem temple, for instance, that was announced, I don't know about, three years ago, the Orem City Council tweeted out afterwards that the church made no coordination whatsoever with the Orem City Council, letting them know that there would be a giant temple right off the freeway in Orem. And Orem is not an anomaly. Here we have our next article here, which is in in, in Heber, the church has announced a temple and the church has applied to change the Wasatch County dark sky rules. So a lot of these temples are illuminated um, almost all the time, some of them even around the clock. And Heber Valley is a very provincial and somewhat of a quaint location. And so they have light ordinances that would prevent this temple from being illuminated in the way that the church wants. So they have gone ahead and petitioned to change the Wasatch County uh, code, the outdoor lighting code, so that it can be illuminated and shined uh, um, as much as the church wants. Any reaction to this article here, Chino? I mean, that's just, to me, that feels true to form for the institutional church. I, it's just, that's disappointing. I think I think the, 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 the logic behind dark sky rules is pretty obvious to most people. Um, asking for an exception to that, I feel since, you know, it's just, it's the wrong message at the wrong time, but it's, it's the least surprising piece of news this week, I would guess. There's uh you know, Heber has very restrictive, uh, dark sky rules, but Salt Lake County and, and Davis County and things like that, they have very lenient rules so that the temples like Draper and Bountiful, they can be illuminated, not just until 10 o'clock PM and starting up again at 5 30 AM, but these temples are illuminated round the clock. And there was a Reddit post here that showed the brightness of the Bountiful temple just a few days ago at 1 30 in the morning. It is illuminated at a level that is truly tremendous it's like you could see it from the space station they are really really bright just a lot of light pollution that comes from these particular temples and somebody again on reddit made a joke that says oh what do you get when you um cross light pollution and secret doctrine and the uh, answer is spiritual cataracts <laughs> uh, so that's that's a small joke there anything else on these uh, on these temples and uh, um what's going on with the uh, temples this week here chino 
No, I mean, I, I think when you're when you're talking about, I thought it was interesting when you mentioned sort of the, the 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 conflict between, say, local local boards, local zoning boards, or what have you, and and folks on the church payroll who are pushing these projects through. I I mean, the the complaint seems to go back to the sense of Mormon entitlement or LDS entitlement uh, in in these discussions, and it just reminds me of of that whole fabricated Reddit brouhaha with Midnight Mormons. I mean, the whole the whole problem was this sense of entitlement of coming in and saying like, oh. You know, I, I don't need to know the rules or the rules don't apply to me. I'm just going to show up and expect people to catch up with my, you know, obliviousness. It, it, it feels kind of entitled. And in terms of the dark sky things, there's 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 a kind of Mormon exceptionalism at play in, in the psychology there. If you're like, oh, yeah, we want to encourage members to be good stewards. But at the same time, we're going to draw this exception, this bright exception uh, for LDS temples. So. Yeah, well, to the church is such a huge kingpin in Utah that it basically it knows that it's going to be able to if it asks its members who are on the city councils of Wasatch County or of Orem um, in Orem, that they're going to be able to change the rules in accordance to what the church wants. So they're they're the big kingpin in Utah. But it's, it's kind of interesting because it, I think it was about a year and a half ago in California that the church had announced a new temple in um, I'm sorry, I forget the location. But it had a large spire and the California City Council said, no, you can't have a 200 foot, you know, I don't know if it was 200. Yeah. Foot. You can't have a 100 foot tall spire that is going to dominate the landscape around here. No, you can't have that. Go back to the drawing board and send us something that's a little bit more reasonable. So and the church had to conform. And now that temple has virtually no spire in order to conform to county code. So, you know, when the church has the ability to have that entitlement to be the kingpin, it does what it wants. But then when it has to, um, you know, when it has to come begging at the door of, um, you know, the, gen the so-called Gentile city councils, it's kind of humbling. <laughs> so, hey, our next article here is the and you post this, uh, Chino. It's the Netflix American primal uh, primeval. Is it primal or primeval? primeval Mormon revenant. Primeval, yeah. So what's going on with that? Well, it, it looks like, and, I, and this is something I think is just coming out of production and there's not a lot of information yet, but just in terms of the blurbs that I've seen, it, it, it looks really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's playing into, um, it, it, this doesn't, it looks a little bit different than the true crime genre, that there's so many examples of sort of Mormon themes in the, in the true crime genre recently. Uh, this looks more like, like they're calling it the Mormon Revenant, this idea of this you know, the set, this movement West and then telling some of those stories, but from a different point of view, not from the point of, not from say a faithful point of view, but from the point of view of say the women who were along for that ride um, and some of the violence involved in all of that. And I think um, I have not read, you know, Jim Bridger, I think had some conflict with, with Brigham Young. And I think there was like a conflict between Bridger and the Mormons generally on the frontier. And I think they're, I think they're, they're maybe exploring that a bit, just the conflict between say your, you know, your Mormon settlers and the others who were on that frontier. The character's name is Abish. I don't. Is that how you say the the, the one of the three unique uh, Mormon names for women? Now, according to, I, I believe, according to the pronunciation guide in the Book of Mormon, it's Abish. But Abish, the okay. The pronunciation guide in the Book of Mormon, in my opinion, means absolutely nothing because we don't really know how these names were supposed to have been. You know, no, how, how do we know that they're supposed to be pronounced the way that they are? Joseph Smith said he said the words Moroni. He said the word Nephi. I really doubt that he ever said the word Abish. So the idea that we know how to pronounce these is, is kind of a fairy tale. But sorry, that's a tangent. Well, that's um, OK, but I, I thought it was an interesting clue. I mean, if someone's uh, if, if, if the writer is, is giving a character the name of Abish, somebody has done some homework. 
Yeah, so uh, in the series here, it's Sarah Leon will play Abish, a Mormon yeah. woman not content with being seen as the property of her husband, Jacob. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jacob Pratt here, so uh, Dane DeHaan is going to portray Jacob Pratt. That's a good Mormon name, uh, Pratt. He's going to be a Mormon leading his family across the frontier to join other settlers in Utah. And so this is going to be a six-episode uh, miniseries, which is described here, I've got the quote, as a raw, adventurous exploration of the birth of the American West. So do you think this is going to kind of be in the vein of in the Under the Banner of Heaven? Do you think it's going to have the same kind of play as Under the Banner of Heaven? I mean, it sounds like it's more in the vein of Yellowstone or those kinds of things, right? Oh, right, so, yeah. Like the, the, the neo-Western that, that, you know, as I was saying, I don't think it's the true crime, true crime genre. I think it's it's going more to, you know, this this new Western, which, you know, I, I, I like Westerns, so I'm going to be watching it for sure. I'm definitely more of a, a Clint Eastwood guy than a true crimes guy on a personal level. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be tuning in. They're going to try to tell this story um, in, in the way that The Revenant was, was told which I, yeah. I love, I love the Revenant. So it's you know. kind of like Yellowstone meets the Revenant meets uh, Brigham Young. Well, you know? I was just going to say how, you know, there, there have been some really, really poorly made uh, hit pieces. If you want to talk about, uh, what was the one that John Voight was in that was about oh. Brigham Young and, and, and the move West and all of that. But anyway, it was just terrible. Like as an ex-Mormon, you're just embarrassed that someone would, it, it was, it was, it, it's similar. Some of, some of these hit pieces in terms of some of the earlier efforts as an ex-Mormon was like, you know, the only time I get defensive of the Mormon culture or the LDS church institutionally is when uh, these sort of evangelical Christian attacks. <laughs> oh, I just looked that up. Uh, September dawn. Oh, September dawn. Yeah, it's terrible, right? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like a 16% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So hopefully we're going to get something. Something uh, a little bit better than that. This is like a, this is like a little higher quality piece of content than, than that. So... Yeah, it should be really good. And that does, uh, you also posted something about how, uh, is this going to feed into the media depictions of Mormons? That is the tropes. Is this going to feed into the tropes or will this uh, run counterculture to the tropes? Is this uh, is this series going to be an example of othering or is it going to be more inclusive? What, what What is your take? Whenever anything like this is announced, I'm, I'm sure that like, you know, the usual suspects are sharpening, sharpening their pencils to write another piece about, oh, this is, you know, religious bigotry is alive and well in the U.S. and the Mormons are the only ones who are sort of allowed to be pilloried in this way. You know, and I just I don't think that that's what's happening. I think what's happening is that you have a lot of untold stories because particularly because if you look at the official LDS narrative during that period, it, its focus is 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 so singular that you really lose sight of the stories of the of of the ex Mormons or the ones who left the church or the ones who the women who like what were what was the actual lived experience for women who were not on board with the program after a couple of years of, of experiencing polygamy or the move west or any of this are their stories allowed to be told is it bigotry to to explore those stories come on I mean that's what I'm waiting for the you know James Fallows and the Atlantic have a long standing great relationship with 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 the Mormons with the Elders Church and I you know guys that I respect, but the idea of trying to frame, uh, you know, cultural critiques as bigotry, it, it, it fell flat when McKay Coppins tried to do it. And I expect there's going to be other attempts that are going to fall flat as well. You know, it seems like one of the only genres that really gets a lot of eyeballs when it comes to Mormon media is a true crime. We had Mark Hoffman's story last year. We had Under the Banner of Heaven. And uh, that's what I wonder is, is this going to be in the same mold as the the things that seem to have a lot of eyeballs? I don't think so. I mean, if you look at that, I mean, that that, that genre is kind of, and there's more. I mean, a, a friend of the family was on Peacock. I mean, it just goes on and on if you want to start exploring this. I mean, I think the, the Lori Vallow case is going to drive. You know, sense of my mother, I think was 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 yes, sense one. of my mother. That's right. Yeah, and, and you and you look at 
you know, the, and the thing, the, the, the pushback I would give uh, in some of the criticism of how Mormonism is exploited for the true crime genre is that these things actually happened. Lori and Chad, they're real. Um, if, if you look at Southern Utah, some of these small towns, the culture in some of those small towns is real. This is nobody's inventing the sort of pressure cooker, patriarchal, sort of sometimes batshit insane culture that exists in the rural parts of the Mormon corridor. Yeah, uh, you know, Lori Vallow, her her thing is going to go to trial. Her her case is going to go to trial this year. And that is going to be a huge Mormon media event. That is going to be a feeding frenzy because it really is going to combine everything that the media loves about Mormons. They're strange. Right. They're, uh, they're, they're dangerous. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> they're psychopathic. This is going to be a this is going to be a feeding frenzy, and all the sides, you know, are going to be lined up, ready to, uh, you know, <laughs> with the knives sharpened. It's going to be fascinating. I cannot wait until this trial kicks off with the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. I think it'd be a good opportunity. I mean, I, I'm fine with those who want to draw finer distinctions between what what Chad and Lori were involved in, and say like the mainstream theology or the mainstream church. I think that's 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 has to be done. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, that's a that's a distinction that the media is typically not very good at doing. As we, I, as I personally believe in, under the banner of heaven, it didn't do that good of a job of really of dis- having a distinction between you know people who are very closely affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and those who are not. So, what we'll, we'll just have to see. But that's not the only Mormon media event that uh, hit the news this week, and that's the uh, Christian series. That this is season three of the Chosen. It's in full swing here, and this is Dallas Jenkins' masterpiece, which is uh, uh, showing the life of Jesus. Um, uh, and his disciples. And there's still more controversy is swirling around the show's creator and his alleged flirtations with Mormonism. And, uh, you know, Dallas Jenkins in the article, he referred to Mormons as his brothers and sisters and noted that we all love the same Jesus. Pardon me, Chino, this is a controversial statement. uh, Help me out here. Well, I think, I mean, I, you know, in terms of from, from the Christian perspective, uh, particularly the kind of perspective that would be the audience for the chosen. Um, I mean, the theological differences are real. Their their view of, of, of Jesus theologically is is different from from the theological view that Mormons hold. I, I'm a bystander in all of this, in the sense that this this would be a drama that I have no dog in that fight. It's just it's just interesting, and I, it's kind of inevitable. I mean, they 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 produce the chosen in Utah, right? I mean, yeah, at the Motion Picture Studio South, which is uh, down there by um, it's just south of Payson. They have a huge complex that's built up there so that they can shoot all of the uh, church movies, and they have a, a a a rather large size village there, which can be conveniently used for either depictions in Palestine or depictions in Zarahemla. It's kind of a one size fits all sort of thing. And yes, the chosen was shot there. And for a lot of evangelicals, <laughs> anything having to do with BYU or Mormonism at all, uh, that's a big problem. It's kind of funny, uh, Chino, I went and Googled Dallas Jenkins and I said, uh, is Dallas Jenkins? And then Google will fill in the, um, you know, possible, uh, uh-huh. it'll, it'll fill in the suggestions the on prompt. what people... Yeah. Yeah, the prompt. And, and guess what the number one prompt is? Is Dallas Denkins a Mormon? So people <laughs> people are very yeah. confused about the evangelicals speaking of dogs. You said that when he says that we love the same Jesus, that's kind of a dog whistle for evangelicals because uh-huh. they don't think that Mormons and evangelicals worship the same Jesus. So there's well, always controversy around this. I, you know, I, I, w- I would say the one the one thing that I maybe have a little bit of personal take on this is that I, we, I didn't grow up in, in, in Utah, you know, for, mo- moving to Utah to BYU was moving to a new place for us. I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt. For those of us who are like from the South or in the Bible Belt, um, they're very aware that Mormonism is on the agenda as far as the anti-cult. 
you know, we have fire in, in Mormonism, you have these sort of fire, like growing up, we had firesides where you would get, you know, sort of like minor Mormon celebrities would come through and do a fireside for the youth. Right. And, and just, you know, have some fun with that. I mean, the, the equivalent of that on the evangelical side in a non-denominational church is they'll have guys come through and do a presentation on, you know, why Mormonism, why Mormonism is a cult. There's a circuit for that. There are guys who, you know, that's their bread and butter is putting on these presentations to these congregations. So it's very much if you're from the Bible Belt, you've, you've grown up hearing about how, you know, and and and, and being given the reasons why uh, theologically Mormonism was a cult and why the Jesus is different. Um, I think that's why it takes Mormons in the Mormon corridor. They may be a little bit shocked by that because they don't understand that's that's actually happening. Like that's a reality that that's happening. That's, you know, all, all these evangelicals, they were raised being taught this. It, it would be just like Mormons who are raised reading Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine. You know, we're we're very aware of, of what's said in that book. It would be very surprising if anyone outside of Mormonism were to flip through that and, and read some of those nuggets. Absolutely. I mean, if you think back to the Godmakers, Ed Decker, Dave Hunt, they basically made a cottage industry of going around showing their uh, a movie to evangelical congregations and then selling their books afterwards. Um, and that's where you get Jeremiah Films from, by the way, as well. So, yeah, I mean, that that, yeah. that industry, you also have the Mormonism Research Ministry, which still does that today, uh-huh. and a lot of other organizations which really line up on this. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I, mean, I would that. like to see the Mormons and the Christians have more. I mean, this is a conversation for them to have. It's got nothing to do with 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 with, with anything I'm interested in. But certainly the more that they can talk, I mean, that kind of collaboration for the Chosen in Utah and all of that and the conversation, because they need to have the conversation at some point. Otherwise, you, what, you're going to have another couple decades of Christians calling Mormons cultists and Mormons being surprised that Christians don't accept their view of, of Jesus theologically. Uh, you know, be better if they just have that talk, sit down and talk it out. Well, the church is really low to really partner with a lot of other religions in some of these religious councils and, and other types of events like that. They're really not a part of any other, you know, the, the, the Baptists have a big convention that they participate in and a lot of different churches who have lots of different theological difference. They get together and try to, I don't know, uh, I don't know, they try to worship God in their own way. The church does not really want to be a part of any other religious organization that I'm aware of. And that uh, there certainly goes no, that does the church no favors in building bridges um, to evangelicals or anybody else for that matter. And, well, and, you know, we, we covered also that, the, for instance, the Queen the Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth died this last year in every single faith tradition in the entire world, from the Sikhs to the Buddhists to the Hindus to the Salvation Army to every single Christian denomination sent a lot of times their number one representative or somebody who is in the church hierarchy for that particular funeral. And the church didn't send, not only did Russell M. Nelson not go, the church didn't even send a representative for something as uh, seemingly banal as the, as the Queen's passing. The church does not want to be a part of other religions because the church really holds itself apart from all other religions and says, we're not like you, we are special. So that, that makes it difficult mm-hmm. to really, um, I don't know, be brothers and sisters uh, under heaven, shall I say. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, one, I mean, one of the, just circling back to one of the earlier themes. Uh, I mean, this is getting back to midnight Mormons, unfortunately. But this this whole idea of where do where do ex Mormons go? Where do people go when they leave the church? I mean, one of one of the you know best kept secrets is that I don't know today in twenty twenty three if it's the case, but over the last few decades, the the traffic between the Southern Baptist Convention and Mormonism that's where that's where a lot of ex Mormons were going. They were going to the Southern Baptists. I live on I live on Reddit, so there's a certain you know self-selected group that we imagine ex Mormons being just like everyone who's on Reddit. But the reality is, there's a huge chunk of former Mormons who are attending church with the Southern Baptists now. Yeah, we've had a couple of uh, people on the Mormon News Roundup who were once uh, members of the church and now evangelical Christians. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's it's more common than I think a lot of people really realize. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. 
Now, uh, we have a couple of legislative items to get through here. We have two legislative articles here that uh, have come up in the news. And the first one was from High Country News, uh, which was published just a short time ago. And the title of the article is LDS environmentalists want their institution to address the Great Salt Lake's collapse. So, I mean, in the article, they're saying that the church, you know, it owns 5,000 acres in uh, in and around the Great Salt Lake area. And that, um, you know, Mormons want the, the church leadership to address current environmental crises. And the Great Salt Lake shrinking up is um, is a really big deal and it doesn't seem like uh, very much is being done from uh, 50 east north temple um to uh, to combat this uh, really existential crisis you know if it makes me it's, wonder chino you know if only we had moses around because he was pretty good with seas you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. it's it, it, it's hard because i don't i don't know i you know i i don't have the the the, the chops to, to 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 speak intelligently to what solutions might be i mean i, co- I come from more of the edward abbey desert solitaire sort of mindset where i'm not even sure that we should be have you know s- supporting the levels of population that we see in 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 the intermountain west with our kids i mean they, they know that i'm just like this is it, just in the world globally that this piece of the planet is so amazing and we're just but we've built we're building this infrastructure and all these people are living in places that i'm not entirely sure that that's really what we should be doing yeah, um, there's a lot to be said for that. I do remember, I think back in the Bible about uh, Elijah in the Bible, he uh, he controlled the rain in his land for uh, two years. In fact, he prayed to heaven and he sealed up the heavens so that no rain would fall for two years, had a drought. And he also caused that no dew would be put on the ground. And I was just thinking to myself, well, can't we kind of just do the opposite and, you know, uh, have the prison of the church pray to God and, you know, oh, yeah. turn on the faucets of heaven? Well, I don't, you know, because- don't, don't want to turn on my expo faucet. But if you if you if you go onto YouTube and you look, I mean Ballard, you know, absolutely, Elder Ballard, you know, years ago had had just made, uh, in my mind, an outlandish claim that he was in Africa on some trip and that they prayed for rain and when they came out, it was raining. And I, yes, th- that offends me. I mean, that offends me. The idea that somehow you know God is going to you know create these microclimates for for ten minutes on a particular day, and it's not just the uh, Elder Ballard with the, the the controlling the rain. When he went to Bolivia back in um, a few years prior, he also gave his uh, apostolic blessing in flood stricken Bolivia as well. So he has made a number of claims of being able to control the weather, and it just seems like this would be a prime a prime time to do so. You know, uh, you know the thing about it is that Elijah he came to uh, according to I forget what section of it is in the Doctrine and Covenants now, but he came to visit Joseph. Smith in the Kirtland Temple to give him the keys. In fact, not only did Elijah come, but Elijah and Elias came. We really got a two for one in that situation. <laughs> you would think that that would be double the power. Um, and that's that. those keys and power are still retained by the president of the church today. This seems like a great time to yeah, use I mean, it. Yeah, if they've mastered the quantum mechanics of making that happen back in Kirtland, you would think they'd be able to master the, the technology necessary to refill the, the Great Salt Lake. One um, would imagine. Yeah. Now, we read in the Bible that Adam and Eve, they were supposed to, and in the Temple Endowment movie, you, they were given dominion over the fish of the sea, the flocks of the air, etc. And I just wonder, what does being a good steward of the earth look like from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints perspective? Now, I do have a very pricey solution here for you, Chino. It is a simple solution, but it is pricey, and that's to build a pipeline from the Pacific Ocean to refill the Great Salt Lake. Now, the salinity will be slightly different, but it'll still all work out. It will be very well. Uh, it'll actually work out perfectly. Um, if you refill the Great Salt Lake to its maximum level, then when it evaporates, that uh, the, that evaporation will then go into the uh, Colorado River a tributary, uh, a water, excuse me, watershed, and it will refill uh, Las Vegas for Lake Powell, Lake Mead, all the way down to California. All of those uh, situations that you talked about where people probably shouldn't be living. My brother lives in Las Vegas, for instance. It's really not a great uh-huh. place for people. But if you were to refill the Great Salt Lake, it would have a dramatic impact on the entire entire Colorado River uh, uh, 
watershed. And that can easily be done. It's the only cost is it costs about $10 million a mile to build a pipeline like that to pump that water. So it's about 2000 miles. So it would cost about $2 billion. Does the church have that kind of cash on hand, Chino? If the stock filings are, are, are to be believed, which I think they are, um, you would think so. Absolutely. It, it seems like it'd question. just be shifting something from one column to the other, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe move some of that Tesla investment over into something else. Yeah, it owns a billion dollars in um, three different companies. It owns a billion dollars of stock in, in three different companies, according to the Ensign Peak um, uh, disclosures. It owns a billion dollars in three different companies. I think it's GE, it might be Tesla and, and Apple stock. Let's just liquidate those, build this pipeline and fix the problem that really the Mormons themselves were really the ones who caused this problem of moving out there. So if we cause the problem, let's just go ahead and fix it. It's a simple solution rather expensive. And maybe even the state of Utah, Utah could chip in some dollars. I do have a very simple solution for that. Let me just, uh, I, I was looking this up this week and there was an article here by Stephen Snow of the 70 in 2018, um, who talked about the moral imperative of environmental stewardship. And he said that climate change is real and it's our responsibility as stewards to do what we can to limit the damage done to God's creation. And I just think, well, what has the church done to limit the damage done to God's creation? Well, the only thing that I can really think of is the, in June of two, 2022, the church released the statement encouraging water conservation, saying that they was going to turn off during this drought in Utah, the uh, watering to the lawns and to the temples and things like that, which seemed like a really good step forward in being good stewards. The only problem is, is that Axios later, about six months later, went and surveyed those uh, chapels in the Salt Lake and uh, Utah areas. And it turns out that almost none of them had the water turned off and only one temple went brown. The church has said that we should be good stewards. It has the capability of doing it. It's tried to make steps forward and going brown, but it just it hasn't delivered in anything related to climate. That that may be related to sort of what the demographics are of the core membership in the West, in in the church. I don't know. I I'm 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 not there, so I don't know how much resistance there is to to trying to make progress on this issue. Um, I, I my my sense just watching Utah politics from the outside is that there are a huge number of bad takes. Like it just seems like it's, a, it's just a relentless um, parade of bad takes as far as solutions for this go in terms of the what's being discussed locally. Uh, I mean, the pipeline thing, I, I wouldn't, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, I'm always, you know, I look back and I think if you think about the civil conservation Corps, if you think about some of the, the sort of the moments in, um, in U S history where we animated the population, got people excited about this idea of going out and doing big, bold projects. I, I don't know that there, I don't see any political will on that level in 2023 in Utah. All I see in Utah in 2023 is you try to drive through St. George and, and the traffic is worth worse than Chicago. Yeah, um, that, that's absolutely right. I think that what you said is right about the appetite being very low for this. And one of the reasons is that the church is really it has an apocalyptic mindset, meaning that Jesus is always supposed to be coming very soon. Joseph Smith said it, Lorenzo Snow says it, and it's still echoed today. If Jesus is coming soon for the second coming, then there's really no impetus or reason to take care of our planet and be good stewards because the world is going to be ending. That's the problem with being good stewards. If you have an apocalyptic mindset, those two things are totally antagonistic. What was the church's number one legislative priority last year? It definitely wasn't climate change. What do you think that it was, uh, Chino? Oh, are you talking about uh, the, the the dog and pony show around um, marriage equality? Yes, the, uh-huh, the Marriage oh, for All right, Act. Yes, right. the, mar- the marriage and, and so-called gay rights. Uh-huh. That is the church's legislative priority and um, what they put all of their focus and things like that into, not climate change. There's also another article here. This, is only the, the, this isn't the only article that is uh, legislative, and that's five bills that were uh, Utah lawmakers have brought up in this last session here. This was posted on January 17, 2023 by ABC.com. There's a new bill that's been introduced in Utah from Angela Romero's bill, uh, HB 115. And what is that bill uh, going to do, Chino? 
Well, I mean, that would that would simply be striking language from an existing clause that that exempts clergy from reporting. Right. Yeah. Remove that. So clergy in Utah, if if someone comes into a clergy in Utah, confesses that they've had child abuse uh, or that they're currently engaged in child abuse and or neglect of the members of their own family or someone else. If you report that to your bishop under current Utah law, that bishop is in no way, shape or form required to report that to law enforcement. HB 115 is going to remove that exemption and say that clergy members will be just like uh, social workers, counselors, teachers and uh, members of law enforcement that you will be required to report that to law enforcement if you have credible uh, allegations or a confession of child abuse. What do you think is going to happen with this bill, Chino? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's actually a fairly modest proposal in terms of what it does. It's simply striking um, language. I, I, it's probably DOA in terms of um, where it's going to go. And I think that the giveaway there is that if you, and that's part of why I posted this link. I mean, it, it was the only news coverage I'd seen about the bill. And I know that I, on the just anecdotally on the ex-Mormon Reddit, people were asking, like, what can we do, you know, to to, you know, sort of front and center to help foreground, you know, improvements in, in clergy reporting of child sexual abuse? And I said, well, you know, you can look at this bill. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not optimistic that that's actually going to work. I mean, n- normally I'd be like, yeah, write your representative, let them know that you support this bill. I, I don't think there's anything any of us could do to see this get passage. Yeah, what this does, it's interesting if you look at the language, it it does give a, an interesting carve out here for what I think is the Catholic Church priest penitent privilege, which I think is a big difference from a Mormon bishop's penitent privilege. It says if a clergy member is bound to confidentiality due to, due to church doctrine or practice, they would not be required to report the abuse. So this particular bill seems to be aimed at Mormon bishops in particular, while exempting Catholic priests um, from reporting requirements. So it's a very fine-tuned uh, piece of legislation. And I, I think, be, and if you get to the finer points of how the Catholic clergy penitent relationship works and how it works in a Mormon context, there, 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 there are substantial differences. They don't, yes. they don't get discussed because people's eyes would glaze over trying to get into those distinctions in terms of like, you know, the public uh, would not be interested in those. But in reality, there are some real differences between how that works huge differences. For instance, the disciplinary councils where right. a bishop, you know, a bishop is telling other members of the stake high council your alleged crime. So that does not happen in a Catholic confessional. So yeah, there's a big yeah, difference. You, you, you tell me how secret um, things remain within at the local level in, in, in the Mormon church and culture when, when you know, anything like this, and, you know, institutionally, the church operates on this idea of councils and committees. And so there's a lot of information sharing that goes around. Yeah, especially at ward councils. I've had uh, things that are brought up that seem to be somewhat confidential that were brought up in ward councils and or priesthood executive council meetings. So a lot of councils and a lot of things that are just really, um, they're not confidential in the same way that they are in a Catholic church. Therefore, why are, I think this bill is saying that why are uh, Mormon bishops given this priest penitent privilege when they don't really exercise it in any meaningful way anyway? Right. But I mean, it's more likely, definitely, it's probably dead on arrival. It might be more likely to be passed in a blue state. I think, um, you know, it's probably not going to get passed because because the uh, Utah legislature is an astonishing 85% LDS. So unless the church gets behind this, which I really don't see doing, I don't think anything is going to happen with this bill. 
And that does bring us to our final news article of the week here. And uh, it's kind of a stretch to call this a news article, but hey, we we combed the web for absolutely the best uh, Mormon-related content here. And this was uh, just posted here a couple of days ago by uh, the uh, B9921hits.com. So (laughs) this is a... (laughs) <laughs> this is the best uh, the the best LDS pickup lines oh. have finally been revealed here and this is uh, this is from a, a a program that is very very funny here uh that's uh, in southern Utah I believe it's in St. George and they have a radio program that kind of takes a humorous look at LDS uh, culture and uh, antics and it is 10 cringeworthy pickup lines that only LDS people will understand and if you come on over to anchor you can interact with us on what we call the Mormon News Roundup poll of the week and uh, what is the poll of the week this week here, uh, Chino. Well, what is your favorite LDS pickup line, right? Absolutely. That's okay. the poll of the week. So if you come on over to Anchor, you can take our poll and you can help us out on this. I did run this past my wife, so she's going to be able to, uh, I'll tell you her results at the end, but let's see if you can help me out on this here, Chino. What is uh, what is uh, selection number one? Well, I'm, I'm glad you ran it by your wife because when I hear lists like these, I get worried I've had to disavow that I actually said these out loud at some point. So I've got some, okay. cover. I've got some cover there. Okay. See, number one, is your name Ammon? Because you are disarming. <laughs> okay, so Ammon, this is from this is from the Book of Mormon because Ammon uh he went to King Lamoni to get, guard the sheep and then he cut off all the Lamanites' arms, right? So disarming <laughs> is because he killed he sliced off the people's arms, right? Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. And that reminds me, by the way, I'm just thinking back to Royal Royal Skelson, that BYU professor who, did, uh-huh. who probably knows more about the Book of Mormon than anything. He said that he had a testimony of the Book of Mormon, not just of its uh, that it was true, but that it was historical. And in particular, he had a testimony that the Lord had revealed to him that Ammon was a real historical figure who really did cut people's arms off. So that is a very specific testimony, Chino. So maybe this is right up uh, uh, Royal Skelson's alley. <laughs> That's a level of specificity for a uh, for a testimony that I am um, I am very impressed by. I'm just gonna oh that no! Okay, yeah. so yeah. Well, so it was so it's just, it's just, yeah. Are we gonna do a pickup line about historicity? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. You know, back, back in the day, you used to just pray about the Book of Mormon to see if it was true. Now you actually have to pray and see if all of the figures individually are historical or not. So I mean, we're taking oh, this up to another level here. Okay, so well, that was a divergence. What is uh, the number two uh, LDS pickup line here? All right. What's a celestial girl like you? doing in a telestial place like this. Oh, wait, is that, Chino, is that sexist or not? Is that, is that a sexist? Well, is that I mean, I gotta say, not? like, just the whole idea of pickup lines generally, this is all for fun and games, right? I, w- yeah. I, w- I would never recommend that, you know, I would never have any of our kids, like, actually go out and try to use a pickup line. Just, I think what's happened culturally is that it's also, what's, what's the red pill thing or whatever? The red pill, blue pill from the Matrix? I don't know. I'm too old to be, have my finger on that pulse, but it seems like there was this thing on, on online and on Reddit, one of the more toxic sort of features of the online world is this idea of approaching, uh, you know, pickups as this sort of gamesmanship, like yeah. really honing, you know, thankfully, I don't think any of these pickup lines would actually work <laughs> in real life. So <laughs> okay. we're safe there. We've got the caveat that these are actually probably absolutely useless to uh, actually working as a pickup line. Boy, I'm not familiar enough with it, but that's certainly something that is yeah, out I, there. I don't think that these pickup lines are going to work for me. I don't know if they'll work for our listeners. Well, wait a either, second, but, but I, I'm seeing number three here. You, you had you had okay. some you had some qualms about under the banner of heaven, uh-huh. right? Okay, what is number three then? Do you hold the priesthood? Would you like to? Oh boy, <laughs> I thought that, I thought that, see that one's that's kind of gross. Um, but but I thought that got incorporated into a scene in uh under the banner. Oh, did it? I I don't re- I don't remember if I that remember. one. Yeah. 
I can't remember that one. But uh, the number four one uh, oh, is uh, was my wife's favorite one. I'm not okay. saying that my wife approves these. I'm not saying I approve these pickup lines. I just we here just we're just reporting the news, Chino. We're not endorsing the no, news. No, you're making okay, news so. now, though. We're making news now. <laughs> okay. What about number four? What about number four? You want me to read that? Okay. My body is a temple, and your smile is the recommend. You know, if that was oh, all that boy. it took, if that was all that it took, I tell you that I would did, I would be going into the temple a lot more often if that's all I needed. <laughs> okay. uh, my personal favorite is number five, so maybe okay. you can uh, share share that one. Oh, okay. I was reading in the book of Numbers, and I realized I didn't have yours. See, I like that because that shows that you're a devoted and devout person. You know, uh-huh. it's just that's that's uh, you know, I for me that's my favorite because I, I'm kind of an obscure person like that. Now, yeah. only a Latter Day Saint definitely will get number six. Uh, what is it? I had to shake your hand to see if you were an angel. Okay, now what? Now, if you're not a Mormon, you probably don't get that joke. But what is the joke that goes behind that? That was the uh, operating instructions from way back in the day, right? Like the way to yeah. tell the difference between. I mean, you, yeah, you'd be able to explain this better than me at this point, probably. But yeah, there's definitely this whole Mormon lore that comes from I think the early years, right? Was it Joseph Smith? Yes, it was Joseph Smith in the Doctrine and Covenants. He tells how um, he said how to be able to tell the difference between uh, different types of angels, and that was basically right. if you shake hands with an angel, you know it's a good angel. If you uh, shake hands with an angel, but your hand passes through, it's a bad angel. And if you ask to shake hands with the an angel, but the angel doesn't um, raise his hand up, then he's a good angel. So we do have a very very good test for how to tell angelic messengers. I've never had the opportunity to test it out, but yeah, that's that's where the joke comes from from number six. Okay, but, which which of course, by the way, you know. There's only a certain amount of scriptures that are in the canon. Um, there's only a certain amount of words and a certain amount of space. And I just wonder that uh, the uh, the Lord of all creation is going to tell us um, a very obscure test for angelic ministrations. But, you know, maybe he could have just said something as simple as boil your water. I don't know. There's only a certain amount of, uh, of words that you have. It just seems like that was a little bit of a waste. But, hey, what do I know? Maybe I haven't dealt with as many angels as I should have. Our final uh, our final uh, poll of the week here, favorite LDS pickup line is number seven. You work out? Because it looks like you nourish and strengthen your body. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, that, that's is that is that sexist or is that is that a good is that a well, good pickup line? Is it good or is it not? Is it a good pickup line? Well, I mean, I just okay. I, I mean, maybe I've been conditioned by too many years on Reddit, but like, if if, if a woman post unless you know, if a woman posts a self a selfie on 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 our ex Mormon, for example, right? Uh huh. You would want to be very careful about making drive by comments about her physical appearance, and for for good reason, right? Uh-huh. I, I mean, we live in anyway. We li- we live in a world where, rightfully so, we've learned that you know you have to be very uh, aware of how that that would be perceived when you're commenting on someone's uh, personal experience, uh, personal appearance. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm still sh- a little bit shook from number five, so I'm having to recover from that. If if okay. I met someone who had been reading the Old Testament. Uh-huh. Asking for my number, I would have been. I don't know that I want to have a relationship with someone who spends time reading the Old Testament. Actually, okay. <laughs> I mean, no, that just kind of scares me. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been reading in the Book of Numbers, and I realized I didn't have yours. You need to question somebody's sanity to spend too much time, time in, the in numbers, numbers in the Old Testament. Really? Okay. I mean, the, in number six. Now I'm just thinking back. I mean, actually, maybe if you're going to have the midnight Mormons on, uh-huh. maybe use this one on them. Like, look, guys, you're Mormon, right? You yeah. have your whole test about you've got to shake the hand to make sure the angel's actually an angel, right? Yeah. Well, there's a way to do an AMA on Reddit too. A little process, a few little tricks that you can use just like that. So, you know, you got your tips on how to sort between angels and non-angels. Here's some tips on how to sort between trolls and actual people when you're doing an AMA. Just saying. Okay. 
I will pass it. I will pass, <laughs> pass that on, on that. I will pass that wise counsel on. So if I had to pin you down here, Chino, what is now these, the legend has it, by the way, that Joseph Smith himself may have come up with these. I can't confirm that as a certainty, or maybe at least Heber C. Kimball, not sure. But what is your uh, favorite LDS pickup line? Can you start the ball rolling for our Mormon News Roundup poll of the week, which of course we do not take too seriously? Yeah, I'm going to go with number one. I'm number gonna go one. With I'm going to go with Ammon. Okay. Is your name Ammon because you're disarming? Yeah. Okay, you like that? Okay, I'm gonna I, I I I'm gonna have to try that out this week. See if it works. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I, I can't tell you if it's gonna work for me. It may work for our listeners out there, but we appreciate you uh taking. Hey, would that be your wife of- using that line? I mean, the reason I chose it because I think this would be your wife using that line, right? Oh, wait a minute. So that's think, for think a this girl through. To- think this through. This oh, is a gal- this is a gal using this as a pickup line, right? Whoa. Oh, okay. So there's some uh, male focus ones. There's some female focus. Oh, I get, uh, you know, see, I'm saying, I, well, that's why I went straight for the, you know, look, number one, the gals are out using pickup lines as well. Right. So, okay. All right. You, I was, I, you know, I'm a little bit out of the pickup line game. As you can tell, I'm a little bit <laughs> off of my game. I need to brush up on that, but uh, I, I, I'll ask my wife to try that out on somebody and see how it works. Okay. So <laughs> no problem. Well, Chino, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Mormon news roundup this week. Really appreciate it. I do want to announce real quick here that we have some huge guests and shows coming up. We have Landon Brophy from the good book club next week. We have the alternative Mormon uh, and Rebecca Biblioteca on February 12th. We have the midnight Mormons who have confirmed that they are coming on on February 19th. That is a date that will live in infamy. And we finally, we have the white cat prophecy on february 26th uh chino thanks so much for coming on hey it's been a blast thank you and i hope we see you around our mormon a little bit more you bet i'm gonna, I'm gonna message those mods see if i get my account back up and go please do okay all right thank you now, sh- a shout out this uh, week to weird download for this episode's music and uh thanks so much for ruminating with us on the great and spacious beehive and remember remember no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing so long <laughs> Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for for supporting us on Patreon.com. A big thank you to our sponsor, Signature Books, for supporting us here at the Mormon News Roundup. Please uh, go over to SignatureBooks.com and check out some of the latest publications that they have. Uh, Currently, they have things like Lighthouse, uh, the Gerald and Sandra Tanner story uh, by Ronald V. Huggins, one of the uh, stories about the uh, two most famous critics of Mormonism today. We've also got uh, the story of Dr. Martha Hughes Cannon, a biography, a suffragist, senator, and plural wife. Uh, That one is by Constance um, Lieber. And then we've also got uh, a really good one here called DNA Mormon by Benjamin E. Park. Uh, So for all of your interest in uh, Mormon studies and research, go over to SignatureBooks.com and support our sponsor. Thank you. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.